Well, we, we are in a sermon series in this letter called Colossians. And it is a letter written to a church in Colossae. Uh, this is a 16th uh, installment. This is part 16. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll end here probably about uh, toward the beginning of July, some, somewhere on there. And um, we're at a very um, a key point, which I'll get to in a minute. But how this church got started is, uh, if you're familiar with modern-day Turkey, it was at Asia Minor, Asia Minor. On the west coast is a city called Ephesus. In 90 miles uh, uh, to the east is, uh, the, was Colossae as well as Laodicea. And what happened is the reason why this church got started in the first place is because the, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to this church, he, he, he was in Ephesus and he set up this kind of evangelistic training base there where he was preaching the gospel and seeing people come to know Jesus, but he's also training other people in the gospel. And so what had ended up happening is over these two years, uh, men and women uh, were inspired uh, by this heavenly vision. They were inspired for what the gospel is. They became Christians, but not only that, they're like, man, I want my friends to know this. I want cities to know this. And then he began to send guys out, begin to send people out to go start these churches. And one of these churches was in Colossae, as well as Laodicea, started by this guy named Epaphras. And he went and started classing. And I bring this all up because we want to be like this church in Ephesus. We want to be this church that is not just a church, but we want to be a church that where men and women come in here, they get inspired by this heavenly vision. They, they see God for who he is. They become Christians. But not only that, but they get inspired and equipped to take the gospel to their neighborhoods, to their cities, to their workplaces, to their schools. And, and ministry is multiplied not only between individuals, but even churches. So we want to see churches uh, multiplied through the city and through this region, throughout the Midwest. Um, in fact, yesterday, you know, I'm downtown. I'm at this wedding and it, at this really cool old uh, church building right in the heart of downtown. And it was, I think it was established like in the 1850s or something like that. And it was this really cool building. It sat about 800 or so people. But today there's, there's very few people uh, who go to this church. And, and on Friday night during the rehearsal, I found myself walking around uh, through these pews, this beautiful building. I've been walking through these pews and I just found my heart just wrecked. And I, I began to just pray because I, I can imagine back in the, in the day, you know, back around 1900 or so, you know, the World's Fair, the Olympics, all that kind of stuff, that this was a thriving uh, church right in the center of St. Louis. And I began to say, oh God, for, for, this, for this church to be uh, resurrected again. And, and, you know, there's all these apartment buildings coming up and businesses are coming up and man, the church needs to come up in downtown St. Louis. And I, was saying, I began to think about about that. And I mean, to think about where, you know, I, I take my kid and, and he, uh, Simon, he, he plays uh, basketball out in the county and out near Sabington, uh, where uh, Gravoy and Limburg comes together. I mean, to think about, I mean, seeing all these kind of soccer mom types and, you know, those who are uh, living for the weekend and a better house, a better car, a better boat, and just the emptiness that comes into that. And I was like, oh man, for, 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 a, for a church here to kind of reach these people. And then I thought about my own, I'm born over in Alton, Illinois. I think about the, you know, Illinois side. And I mean, I, I'd love to have, you know, a, a, a gospel outpost there and, and then East St. Louis and North City and, and all the crime and all the strip clubs and all the violence and, and, all, and all that and the drugs. And, man, if we, could, if, we could, uh, if we could get in there, like, you know, where, where education has failed and politics have failed and money has failed and social services have failed, the gospel will not fail. And I think if we could get a, a church in there, I mean, that'd be an awesome. And this is what we're living for in St. Louis. Now, it's one thing to hope for that. It's one thing to think about that. But what we want to do at Jubilee Church is we we want to strategize and position ourselves to make that happen, yeah. which is why moms are getting flowers today. No, because it's why, it's why, 
it's why we strategize for that. It's why we pray for that. So we get together and pray. I hope you're a part of that. I hope when that thing comes around, it's like, oh, here comes the week of prayer. I hope you get on that. It's why we give toward that, where we have a, a, a church planning fund where we want to see that happen. And then constantly, we, are, we, we want to create this kind of apprenticing culture where everyone's being trained up, where men and women are inspired by the gospel. They catch this heavenly vision, and then they're trained and equipped in all these different areas. So I, we've used this analogy before, but you, know, you can go to, if you get, um, if you get injured, uh, some dear friends of ours, they, they, yeah, their, their daughter cut themselves last night, went to the emergency room. I don't know what hospital they went to, but they could have gone to a hospital where uh, all the professionals do the work. So you go in there and it's just the professionals. There, there, there are these, um, and then there are these other hospitals that are teaching hospitals or training hospitals where all the medical um, stuff that happens, all the interaction with patients is not just done by the professionals, but it's done by trainees. So you go in there and you get someone who looks a little young. It's like, you know, you Sure, you're a doctor. It's like, well, well, they're training and they're all different levels. And, you know, of course, it's under supervision, so it's all great. But the reason why they do that, so that medical care can be reproduced, that more people can get medical care and that medical care can get better. We don't, we want to be a teaching, training, like, church that like that to where not all just the professionals do that, but where, uh, where everybody is, is apprenticing, everyone's learning to do ministry. And that is at every level. So that's in J kids, you know, if you're a J kids teacher, we want, um, apprentices in J kids teaching so we can grow and grow and grow in that way. We want that in whether you're greeting within, in home groups and, and community groups and whether you're opening your home or you're learning to lead and, you know, if you're jazzed about, hey, I want to be a part of that. Man, I'm so excited about a church downtown. I'm so excited about one of the burbs. I'm so excited about North City, East St. Louis, wherever you're thinking about this. You can contribute to that today. You can start today. Every time that you, if, if you're like, you know, I'm not in the game, but I, I can greet, I can serve, I can do this, or I can learn this, I can grow in this, that is all a part of serving that purpose. And I say all of that because today... We, I'm having David Quad and Jordan Dillon. They're going to help me with my preach. They're going to come up here. They're going to take a spot of this. And they're, and they're, and they're being trained in uh, communicating in, in preaching. So Jordan and David Quad, would you come on up here, please? So David Quad, David Quad is, is uh, one of our community group leaders. He's also in J-Kids. And um, He's in our trilogy training program, and he's just one heck of a guy. And then Jordan Dillon, you know Jordan uh, Dillon. Uh, he's, he's one of our worship leaders here. He's on uh, staff, and uh, he's a funny guy. And, um, <laughs> and he'll, be, uh, he'll be there today. So I'm so looking forward to having you guys uh, help me out today so you can have a seat. And then Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker is going to read the scripture for us. So we're going to get started. We're going to preach today from the Bible eventually. And so <laughs> Colossians 3. Could you get to Colossians 3? Come on, Kurt. Colossians 3. Take it away, Kurt. Good morning. We are reading from uh, Colossians 3. If you don't have a Bible, you have a black Bible like this under the chair in front of you. It's on page 984. We'll be doing verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Got kind of fired up about what Brian was talking about. I could tell you my wife and I are on board with that. That is exciting, you know. That's real exciting. Okay, so 
I'll try not, I won't, I won't preach what he just preached. <laughs> I'll just read and sit back down here. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of uh, Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are in a, in a shift in, in Paul's letter um, in, in chapter three here, uh, Colossians four chapters. And the first two, he's talking theology, he's talking Christology, Christology, theology is just thoughts on God, Christology, thoughts on Jesus, and thoughts on Christ. And so he's, he's talking about that, and then there's a shift here where he's going to give us some to do it. So he's, he's gonna give us some practical outworkings of that theology, of that Christology. So he's looking at it from 30,000 feet, this is what it means to be a Christian, blah, 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 that's who Jesus is, and then he's gonna give some practical outworkings of that. And it's very important that you see this. By the way, this is very like Pauline, meaning like this is very much like Paul and all the letters that he writes. So like Ephesians, which I already talked a little bit about, is uh, you know, you got the first three chapters where he's talking about this is, what's, this is who Jesus is, this is about your salvation. This is the church. Therefore, live this way. He does that in Romans, first 11 chapters. This is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. This is, this is the gospel. And then in chapter 12, he says, therefore, uh, in light of God's mercy and grace, this is how you should live. And he's doing that uh, here too. And it's very, very important to notice that. So if you don't, if you don't zoom out and, and get the big picture, what Paul's trying to do, you, we can just go in and week in and week out. This is the 16th installment. And you can think that, that the Bible is made up of individual verses. And when in reality, there's a part of a bigger picture here, uh, because he's going to begin to explain to you, this is, this is some, some to do it and say, do this and don't do this and stay away from here and go here. And you need to understand that. Um, let me tell you what I'm talking, I'll show you what I'm talking about. So look at verse one. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. Um, it says in verse one, the very beginning, if you have been raised with Christ, there's an F there, if you have been raised with Christ. So who's he talking to there? He, he, he's talking to Christians. He, he's talking to Christians. Now you need, you need to get that because if you don't understand that he's talking to Christians, you're gonna look at this list of to do, uh, do's and don'ts and you're going to think that if I do these do's and if I don't do these don'ts, that's what makes me a Christian and you would be wrong. He, he just spent two 
chapters talking about the wonder of Jesus and what makes you. Here's Jesus. He's, he's God and he's preeminent. He's in creation. He's over the church. He's over the sun, moon, stars. He's over you. And uh, uh, you have incurred a record of debt. But praise be to Jesus. He took that record of debt. He put it in his son's hand and he nailed it to the cross. So it is with you no more. That's what makes you a Christian. Now, if you are raised with Christ, let me show you what this life looks like. And it's very important that you get that. A couple of years ago, I'm pulling a boat. I don't know if you've ever pulled a trailer or a boat or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, was doing, I, I hitched it up and I was kind of in a hurry. I went about 300 yards down the road. I hit a bump, boom, the trailer comes off. Now, fortunate for me, it happened within a few hundred yards. I mean, think about like if I was on the highway and that thing came off or if I actually got to the lake and I backed up and, it, you know, the whole thing just went in the lake. The, the hitching up there is critical. The hitching, the making sure you're connected is critical. So before, before we take off here, before we take off in this car, I want to make sure that we're hitched. So here, here's the question. Are you, are you been raised with Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you come to the point where you realize you're a terrible captain of your ship and that you've messed things up and that you have incurred this record of debt and that Jesus has taken your sin and has nailed to the cross and, and, and there's now no condemnation for you and you are in Christ. And Are you raised with Christ? Are you a Christian. Because Paul's going to explain to you what this life looks like. And for the Christian and for those here who are not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here. I just want you to understand that when we go, when we dive into this week and the following weeks in particular, we're going to dive into this is what it looks like, this is what it doesn't look like. But this isn't a list that says this is what you need to do to become a Christian. And these are the things that you don't do so that you can stay a Christian. That's not what's happening here. Uh, Paul's saying, in light of who you are now, there, there's a new you. There's a new you, and this is what the new you looks like. So it says, have you been raised with Christ? And then he, he's going to get into some to-do-its. He says, set your mind on things above. Calibrate your mind. Fix your mind on things above. And I, I've got Jordan here who's going to uh, help us with why we should set our minds on things above. Jordan. Yeah, so the first, the first verse there, uh, Paul says, keep seeking the things that are above. And he throws in a little comma there and says, where Christ is. And I think that's so crucial for what Paul's trying to get at. The reason we should seek the things of, that are above, the reason we should set our mind on the things that are above is because that is where Christ is. Uh, as Brian mentioned Paul just spent two whole chapters elaborating on Jesus and how great he is and how marvelous and wonderful he is, painting this wonderfully beautiful picture uh, of who he is and what he's done. He said things like, uh, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a statement. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He said, uh, also, Christ is in you. Christ is in you. The hope of glory. He also says uh, in chapter two, or in, in, uh, yeah, in chapter two, he says, in him, you have been made complete. We've been made complete in him. What a statement. What a statement that Christ in us makes us complete, therefore lacking nothing. He is our everything. He's been building up this glorious picture of who Jesus is. And I think, uh, you know, just elaborating on, on, on how significant he is in our lives. And I think that that statement, where Christ is, is just Paul nailing this home, nailing it home. He is our very life. He is our very life source. Life itself comes 
from Jesus, from being with him, from knowing him, being found in him. You know, so, so why, do we, why do we seek the things that are above? Why, why do we set our mind on things that are, that are above? It's because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. Why are we interested in heaven? Why, why are we looking forward to, to that? What's, what's that about? It's where Jesus is. It's where Jesus is. And so I think, so why would Paul just add that in, though, after elaborating on two whole chapters about Jesus? Why, why throw that in there? Well, I think some of you fellows can probably relate uh, to this, this story. I, I, sometimes, I sometimes lose things around the house. Uh, that, that happens often for me, and this is kind of this is kind of the scenario that takes place whenever whenever that does happen. Okay, so I've lost something, babe. You know, I mean, we know where, we know where to go to. That, babe. Hey, uh, yeah. Do you know where? Um, do you know where my my favorite shirt is? That that short sleeved one. It's got it's got the pocket there uh, on the one side, a couple buttons. Up front, do you, do you know where that is? So she's in the other room, and she's British. I'm not going to try and do the accent. I've been married to her for three years, but can't get it down. Uh, so, so my wife would be like, uh, yeah, babe, where are you at? I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in our room just standing by the bed. She's like, okay, uh, so look towards the bed. and uh, Okay, now, now turn to your right. Okay. Okay, turn to your right again. Okay. Turn to your right one more time. And actually one, one more time after that. Okay, all right, now look down. Oh, my shirt, you know? And that's, that's, that's what it's like for us. And nine times out of 10, when I've lost something, she finds it in her first try, right? Sometimes not even being in the room. And nine times out of 10, it, I've walked by it about 15 times and looking for it. And I think that's what Paul's kind of getting at with this statement, where Christ is. He's just hammered at home, but he's saying, this is, it, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. I could actually, I mean, the Colossians, like, like, like Brian said, they were believers. They, they knew the truth. They believed uh, Christ was God, that he died for them. But they, it says that they actually began to seek other things. And we can be like that sometimes. I know I could pursue everything around Jesus, everything that is associated with Jesus. I could show up here on Sundays. I could go to community group. I could, I could believe in him and who he is and what he's done for me. I could seek and, and passionately pursue justice and just that, that, that just drives in me. I could be great at loving and serving my neighbors. I, I could be a great husband. I could give away tons of money. I could empty my bank account and give it to the poor. Read my Bible. You fill in the blank but yet completely miss the mark, completely miss the mark. What's the point of all of those things unless Jesus is at the center? What's the point of any of that stuff unless it overflows from a place of being completely astounded by the work of Jesus and who he is? What's the purpose unless at the core of us is a holy, abandoned, pure delight in Jesus? You know, we get bored of doing good things. I mean, I, I know I do. But there's a sense when, when, when my eyes are fixed on Jesus, when I'm astounded and overwhelmed at who he is, there's just a sense of overflow in my heart of wanting to be like him and, and just enjoy uh, that nearness with him. I think, I think John, Pipe, <clears throat> John Piper actually sums it up a lot better than I could. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to finish with this quote from him. It should be on the screen for us. He says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Oh, what a statement. 
The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. So that's why. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we do that. Notice that Paul says in verse 1, it says that you have been raised. That's a past tense thing. And that in verse 3, it says that you have died uh, with Christ. So you need to know something about how to do this. So how do we set our minds on, on things above and on things of the earth? Uh, we, we do that because that's where Christ is. But how do we do that? We do that by knowing some things. And what we need to know is that we have already died and we have already risen. And uh, you're thinking like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is the greatest truth that's ever existed. And what that is, because the essence of Christianity isn't that you and I imitate Christ. That's not the essence of Christianity. Uh, if we are Christians, we will imitate Christ, but that's not really, the essence isn't that, um, isn't really that we listen to Jesus. It's not really that we obey Jesus. It's not just that we uh, love other people, but the essence uh, is, is that we are not, not that we obey Jesus, but that we are in Jesus, that we are in Christ, that we have been, that we have uh, died with Christ and that we have risen with Christ. The heart of Christianity is that whatever is true of Jesus is legally true of you. And that is massive. I mean, that, that is just fields and fields and fields and fields of wonder to glory in. So if, you're, if you ever feel like, man, who am I? Am I anyone? Well, you know, it, well, does God answer my, I was talking to somebody the other day, does, oh, does, God listen to, does God listen to my prayers? Man, I don't know if God listens to my prayers. I say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you think that God listens to Jesus? Well, yeah, of course he does. Well, he listens to you then. Because you are in Christ. Whatever's true of Jesus is legally true of you. You have this access. You have this access. Well, I haven't had a very good week and you know, I, you know, I've, I've, done, I've done some bad things and okay, so you, you think that because you've had a bad week that God's not gonna accept you. Did, did, when you had a good week, is that when God accepted you? No, he accepted me because of Jesus. Well, he still accepts you because of Jesus. That's why you're in and that's why you stay in and that's why you have this access. So you can pray with confidence because you have, you have died with him, which means that the guilt of sin is, is, the guilt of sin is as gone as if you had died on that cross for your own sin. Why is that true? Because you did. Because Jesus did it, you did it. This is a Terry Virgo analogy. But how many people here believe that two thieves died with Jesus next to Jesus? How many here believe that? Raise your hand if you believe that. Why do you believe that? It says in the Bible, the Bible also says that you have died with Christ. We need to believe that. We need to believe that the guilt is gone. The Bible says that we've risen with Christ, which means it says at the right hand, which means it, it, this is kind of an old analogy, but a king and a queen, you could, if you're at the right hand, it meant that you're up with, you're, you're at the same level. And not only that, but you have the ear of a king. There, there's fellowship, there's intimacy that you have because you're with them. That's why the Bible's full of stuff like, hey, if you, if you need something, ask for it. You know, God's wanting you to come in because we have this amazing access. So how we, how we set our minds, first of all, is that we know some things about um, who uh, Jesus is. So Paul's saying we have to set our mind on things that are above, 
um, because where you set your mind is where your life is. And, and I, want, I want David to come and talk a little bit about this. In verse 4, Paul says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Notice that he does not say that Christ is a part of your life. He says that Christ is your life. Uh, he, he does not say that Jesus is an addition or an add-on or a supplement to our life, but that Jesus is some central and preeminent in the life of the Christian. Paul is saying that to the Colossians, and that's relevant for us today. If we believe this truth, if we believe this fact, if we believe this verse, what Paul's saying, uh, that Jesus is our life, it will literally affect everything that we say and do. It'll affect the, the decisions that we make. It'll affect how we spend our time, how we spend our money that God's entrusted to us. It'll affect who we date, who we don't date, uh, how we act as a spouse, how we act as an employee, everything. If we believe that Jesus Christ is our life, it'll affect everything that we say and do. This verse that Paul's saying to the Colossians is not a rule. It's more of a reminder. He's not telling the Colossians something that they don't already know. He's uh, actually addressing them to go back to the gospel, gospel of who they are already in Christ. Uh, many of Paul's letters are like this in Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians. Paul is gently reminding people to remember who they are in Christ, and that's what Paul is doing here, saying that Jesus is our life. Uh, this whole theme, though, is not very popular in our culture. It's very popular in the culture that we live in to make Jesus uh, simply an add-on. Uh, something that we do on Sunday and maybe something throughout the week, but um, when it comes to different topics, we may change. Uh, it's really easy to like the topics like grace and unconditional love and forgiveness of sins and having a community of believers around us and eternity after life. We love talking about these topics because they're true and real and they're very, very relevant for us today. But as soon as we talk about things like money, and what to do with the money that God's entrusted to us, or our sexuality, our body, what to do before marriage, or living um, sacrificially and selflessly for others, we begin to cringe. But the thing, though, is that if we take the things that we like about Jesus and accept them, and take the things that we don't like and dismiss them, it's not Jesus that we're worshiping, but a God that we made up in our mind. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, um, everything. He says this in Mark 8:35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus today is calling us not to make him a part of our life, but the sum of our life, and in that we'll find real freedom and true joy. Uh, I know for me, uh, as a single guy, I think to myself, even as I was preparing for this text, hey what, if I, hey, what if I never get married? Or what if I never have kids? Or what if I never get that bank account that I'm looking at? Or what, at work, we got a lot of promotions coming down the line in summer and at the end of the year, and et cetera, et cetera. What if I don't get that promotion or that job title? What if I don't get um, that notoriety, recognition, prestige, influence, affluence, things that I desire, things that I want to do? God, what if you don't give me, God, what I want when I want all my timing? Will I still want to make you my life? Will I still remember this truth? Will I want to obey the word or will I want to follow the world? Will I trust in you and have joy or will I turn from you and be miserable? Uh, I think if we're honest, we can struggle with these tensions. Uh, but the remedy to all of this is not to uh, do better, try harder or anything. But our work is to go back to Jesus' finished work. Some of you are like, well, give me something to do. All right, here's what you should do. Go back to Jesus' finished work. Um, Jesus is... Um, is God, and, and when we meditate on who he is and what he's done and, and ponder it and reflect it, when we think about it and talk about it in, in the context of community group and throughout to the week, it begins to change us. 
Um, we don't change our identity to fix our behavior. We remember our identity, and that changes our behavior. We don't change our identity, which fixes our behavior. We remember our identity, and that changes our behavior by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, later on in the Bible, James, Jesus' half-brother, he asks this question. He says, in James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, What is your life? He says, what is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. He asks this question. He poses it with a what. Um, we can answer the what question with a who. We can answer the what question with a who, and that who being Jesus Christ. Um, we don't have to boast and list our accomplishments or hang our head and list our failures, but we can proudly and humbly say, hey, Jesus is my life, and I want to make much of him and everything that I say and do. Um, so if Jesus is our life, Paul says, you need, you need to put some stuff to death. And this is where you know, it's like, you know, put to death, you know, sexual immorality and covetousness and lying, stealing, cheating, slander, malice, all these things. Put these things to death. Because why? Because this doesn't have to do with your life anymore. If Jesus is your life, uh, uh, you have this new self. In fact, the title of this section, if you look in your Bible, probably says uh, your new self. And he's going to expound on that more after even what we look at today. So Paul's saying that we have a new self and that in this new part of you, though, is your spirit. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit is a new creation. Your mind, however, is, a, is in process. Um, your, your mind is, is, is not new. Um, your mind has some issues. It's like when you wake up in the morning and you're like, praise Jesus. And then like a minute later, you get in traffic and you want to cuss somebody out. You're like... <laughs> Your mind just like doesn't know what to do itself. It just, it thinks things. And, it, you know, you may even thought things in, in this even talk. Like maybe you, some of you got, young guys were thinking, I could do better than that. Or whatever it is. I don't know. Or maybe you're thinking something else. Maybe you're just, you're, maybe you're not even thinking. Or maybe you're just, it, it just our mind goes places. And you know that. I mean, nobody, nobody here, if we could plug a, a cord into your mind and show up on that screen, nobody would like that day. Nobody would like that. Even if we took like the best five minutes of your life, no one, no one here would want that to happen. Our minds are in process. See, the Bible says the new part of you, the, the part of you that's totally redeemed, totally saved is your spirit. And your, your mind though is being renewed. Your spirit has been saved. Your, your mind is being saved. Now your body, there's nothing saved about your body. I mean, it's just... It shall be saved, but it, it, it's not saved. It's, but your mind has these old thoughts and patterns. And so, so you, before you met Jesus, there were other things that you were alive. Jesus was in your life, other things were your life. And with that life became certain thought patterns. Yeah, there was lying and stealing and cheating and sexual immorality and covetedness and idolatry. And there's all these things, there's these patterns and, and, and they need to be renewed. They need to be changed, they need to be different. That's why you have to set your mind you have to calibrate. You have to fix it on things that, that have to do with your new life. It's not something that just kind of happens. You don't kind of like drift into um, being like Jesus. It's something that takes a little bit of intentionality because there are these deep, deep, deep ruts. I, uh, when I was uh, a kid, I had a friend of mine. His grandpa had this big uh, farm, and there was this tractor where he, he let us drive. And, and on this um, 
on this farm because of, you know, he would do work when it was sunny as well as rainy. And so there were these deep ruts that were created between one point of the farm to another point of the farm. I mean, deep ruts. And so like literally you could, you could take this tractor and let go of the steering wheel and it just kind of went. Like you're on some like little kid ride at Six Flags. I mean, it just kind of like guarded you to where, you know, there was no chance, you know, that you could steer. So there, and to get out of those ruts really took a lot of intentionality. And, and our minds are like that. Your, your mind is deeply rooted in selfishness, is deeply rooted in thinking about yourself. You're, you're very suspicious of others. Um, uh, you're, you, you think that money is ultimate. Uh, you think that other things besides God are ultimate. That is your old mind that is not saved. You are saved. That's why we get so confused about our salvation because we think of, oh, if I was saved, I wouldn't think this way. No, that your mind is being renewed. It, it's in process. And you need to set your mind on things above. You need to, to make Jesus your life. You're going to have to put to death some things. You're going to have to change the way you think about some things. And you're going to have to do that a lot because there are some deep, deep ruts that you're going to have to steer, steer yourself out of. So it says, Paul says, just to get real practical, it says um, that these aren't part of your old life. So put to death what is earthly in you, namely sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And that, pa that word passion is a Greek word, epithemeo, which doesn't mean having a desire for the things that are bad. Like I, you know, like want to smoke crack or something, but it's having an over-desire for things that are good. So it's having an over-desire for a hobby. It's having an over-desire for a career. It's having an over-desire, hear me moms, for your children. It's an over-desire for something that is good, if not great. Kids are great. No amens on that one. I wonder why. Okay, so they, and um, not I was with you until that point that you said about just something just disconnected. Then, then, then the car went and the boat stayed. And, um, and, then it's, and then it says covetedness, which is idolatry. Idolatry, this is like putting something, this is again, this is just magnifying what's already been said, which is Jesus is our life. So instead of making Jesus my life, I'm making hobbies my life. Instead of making Jesus my life, I'm making career my life. Instead of making uh, Jesus my life, I'm making money my life. Jesus, I mean, this is, Bible's full of stuff like this. So Jesus says, hey, don't, seek first the kingdom and all these other things. Yeah. Hobbies, career, Clothes, money, kid, all these things are good things and I know that you need them and, and I'm going to take care of you because uh, I'm ultimate. These things are not ultimate. If you make these things ultimate, you, you miss me altogether. So seek first the kingdom of God. First, foremost, set your mind, set your heart on things above and not on things of the earth. And it says, on count of these things, God's wrath is coming. This is like, this is what got you in trouble in the first place. Why would you go back to that? If making Jesus secondary is what is defined sin, and this is what got you in the, this mess, and this is what got this world in this mess, why would you go back to that? You know what Proverbs 21, 26, 11 says? It says, it's like a dog going back to its vomit. A dog going back to its vomit. Now, we can think about that. It's like, oh, the guy who's like a drug addict and he goes back to his drugs. Oh, it's just like a guy going back to his vomit. No, no, no. A guy who makes his career ultimate, a guy who makes his career ultimate and not Jesus ultimate is like someone who eats vomit. 
A, a, a mom who makes, uh, especially I know single moms, this, you just, you, you just so your kids are your life now. It's like going back and eating vomit. You're a hobby. I mean, hobbies are great. Have a hobby. You need a hobby. But making it ultimate, it's like going back and eating your own vomit, which is gross. It's just gross. So what we, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought thinking about vomit. Um, oh yeah, me. A pastor, a pa- this is important because I won't, I won't put my, myself in this equation. A pastor who makes ministry success ultimate and not Jesus. It's me. It's me going back to eating vomit as well, which is just a great way to end. Um, but he says, now, but now you must put these things away. And then he gets into things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, do not lie. The reason why that we get into all these things is because we're, we're trying to protect a, an identity that's not Jesus. We're trying to protect an identity that is not Jesus. So let me give us a little bit of help here to, to identify this. Because to put to death the things that are part of your old life, your old self, uh, I mean, I could talk about it for three minutes, but it takes three years to really processes through. And it's important. You cannot seek, put your mind on things above until you know, particularly for you, where you get trapped in keeping your mindset on things on this earth. Because we all, here's the thing, we all have our own version of our own righteousness. We all have this level, you know, um, David talked about this. He talked about how we just kind of have, we make Jesus an add-on and not our life. And what that looks like is that we have our own form of righteousness. So as long as we're, you know, if, we, if, I can, if, I can, if I can pray with my kids at night, but I mess up every part of my life and I'm full of idolatry and covetousness and lust, then I'm, I'm good with God. And we all have that. If I'm doing good with my relationships, then I'm good with God. If I'm going to church at least three times out of four, then I'm good with God. Wh- whatever it is. You know what? There, there, there's so much more than that because God isn't just a part of your life. He, he is your life. So you've got to put, you've got to constantly put these things away. So, so what could it be for you? Well, here, here's, what, here's what it could be. What are the things, circumstances, conditions, relationships that if you lost them would make you feel like you wouldn't have a life left? What is it in your life that if you lost this, you wouldn't have a life? For some of you, it could be a relationship. You mothers, especially single mothers, You've already had maybe a guy betray you and maybe you feel lost and alone and then you've made your life, I'm not trying to pick on you because I know things have been rough, but you've made your entire life your kids and for you, it didn't take long for you to think about that. If you lost your three-year-old son, if he wasn't a part of your life, your life would be over. Some of you guys that have jobs and you're just like, it's career and advancement and this is my life. I've got this Jesus thing going on. You know, I, I read my Bible, I pray, and, you know, I teach my kids good things, and I, and I come here, but really my life, what my life centers around, what decides where I live, when I live, how I live, what I do, what I don't do, what things I engage in, what th- it, it's all about that. Here's another thing, and this is why it may take some time. Next time you get angry, ask yourself, why am I angry? I'll tell you why you're angry because what your life is about got threatened and it made you mad. What are you depressed about? Next time you're depressed, what am I depressed about? 
You're sad because the thing that is your life is fading away. What are you afraid of? What makes you scared and frightened? Whatever you're afraid of is your life. I'll throw myself back in the equation. I just, as I've been thinking, I think the thing that I try to protect and I, and I just don't want, I, I probably is my ego. When, when I get angry, it's because somebody did something that lowered me. Most of the time, it's my wife and my children. When I get depressed, it's because I don't feel inflated enough. When I get afraid, when I think about a situation, when I look in the future and I'm planning for the future and I think about a situation, it's like, well, if that thing happens, then, then I'm not as important and that scares me. And I wanna avoid that situation. I have to set my mind on things above. Because it just, it, my mind is, has ruts in it and it just, it wants to go back, it wants to go back, it wants to go back, but Jesus is my life so I have to put that to death. And you have to put that to death. What do you have to put to death? What in your life do you need to put to death? Is it a, a, feel, is it a relationship? It's not the relationship has to be put to death, but it's where you place that relationship that needs to be put to death. It's not your career that you need to quit. Maybe you do, I don't know. But it's where you place that career that you may have to put to death. It's idolatry. Some, some of you give in to slander and malice. You're protecting something. You're protecting something that's not of Christ. So we can have a, a, a nice little moral lesson about do's and don'ts, but the reality is, this is what Paul's saying, this isn't who you are anymore. You, you've, you're, you're somebody completely different. Your life is, is Christ now, so put these things to death. Why don't you get out your communication card?